0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, August 10th. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, and we'll start with the significant news that uh, broke uh, late Wednesday night. Not a real surprise because when I was at Peach Jam, Uh, Last month, I talked with Jonte Porter, and he smiled and told me it was safe to assume that he would reclassify and enroll at Missouri so that he could play with his brother, Michael Porter Jr., uh, in this upcoming season. But it did become official last night. He tweeted uh, a picture of himself in a Missouri uniform and said, welcome to the class of 2017 or something along those lines. Jonte Porter is going to be a freshman at Missouri this year. So since Conzo Martin got the job at Missouri... After leaving Cal, of course, he um, has enrolled two five-star prospects, two four-star prospects, and he's got an opportunity to take Missouri to the NCAA tournament in year one, uh, despite the fact that the program has been just an embarrassment the past three years. Eight and 46, I believe it is, in SEC games over the past three years. I think they only won two uh, league games last season. So, Norlando, let's start with this. How big of a development is this for Missouri and the SEC in general, because we always know Kentucky's going to have players. Um, Texas A&M's got a lottery pick. And now Missouri's just added another five-star to the likely number one pick of the 2018 draft, Michael Porter Jr. How big is this for Missouri? How big is this for the SEC?
1: I think the poor Jonte Porter addition now, whereas Missouri fans were expecting to get to the NCAA tournament next season, let's remember they were eight in an eight-win team last season. I think by adding Jonte, it's, it's become a no excuse. You have to get to the NCAA tournament with the amount of talent that you have, even in year one, even after the big turnover from last season, Jonte's a good player. He's not nearly as good as his older brother. And I mean, not nearly as good. He's a, he's a solid player. To me, he seems like a a three-year player. Uh, Minimally, I don't think he's the kind of guy that'll turn around and and be a pro and after even two years. But I could always be wrong. Uh, I just don't think he's he's not the same kind of player and nearly as good as Michael. But obviously he's doing this because, he one, he was able to, uh, and he had set his clock ahead um, months and months and months ago. So this was always a possibility. So for, for him to be able to play with his brother for one year in college is something that he wants to experience. I totally get that. Missouri will have an interesting... Dynamic next season GP because they've got a lot of talent like Jeremiah Tilleman also another player that I I Think will actually probably be a solid four-year kind of guy Um, They've got enough talent there in the front court to where it's fair to say this team should be a top six team in the SEC Uh, and the SEC will be I think improved next season from what we saw last season when we actually thought it would be Better than it ended up being so it's it's a big-time piece of news for that program and that conference I don't think that he's the kind of player where if Missouri fans were already expecting to get into the tournament, okay, now we're gonna be a Sweet 16 team. I, I think that's you're getting way too ahead of it here. Just if you're a Mizzou fan, accept that you should be a no doubt about it top forty team in college basketball. I think that's a fair expectation. And then whatever else comes after that is a little bit of house money. Just getting to the tournament alone in twenty eighteen, I think should be reward enough. And I know that some are just dying for relevance and winning, and I totally get that. And you've got Porter. But let's also keep in mind there's been some really good players in recent years who didn't even get to the tournament top draft picks. Not necessarily saying Porter will be the exact same thing with that. But overall, it's exciting for the Tigers. And I'm I'm excited for the league overall, GP, because I, I do think Missouri being better will be will be good for that league because that fan base is – it's a pretty passionate fan base. Like to me it registers a top twenty five, top thirty fan base overall in terms of how much they care. And finally now we've got some some final pieces in place, Parrish. I think they'll be a top forty team. I don't think that they'll be a surefire top twenty five team, but I'm at least open to discussing that as we get closer to the season.
0: This is interesting on a couple a few different levels. A, um, you know, just that it's another five star prospect reclassifying. I mean we've heard a lot about this. Uh, in recent years, and especially lately with Marvin Bagley and and also R.J. Barrett, who is reclassifying from 19 to 18, Bagley trying to reclassify from 18 to 17. We'll see how that goes um, with Marvin. I do think there is a difference between what Marvin Bagley is doing, trying to do, and what Jonte Porter has done. In other words, Marvin Bagley is is not necessarily trying to reclassify so that he can play, play, play college basketball this season. I mean, that's, that's what he wants to do, but that's not the primary goal, I'm told. The primary goal is to try to be eligible for the 2018 NBA draft, whether he plays college basketball or not this season. He wants to be in next year's draft because he would, you know, I think for certain be a lot top three pick and, and perhaps the number one overall pick. With Jante, it's not about getting in next year's draft. I don't even think he would be eligible for next year's draft. Even, you know, even with reclassifying, he wants to play with his brother. Um, he has an, and, and there's probably nothing left for him to accomplish in high school anyway. I mean, he's like you said, not nearly the prospect his brother is, but he's still like a consensus top 15 player in America. I mean, he's very good. And, but, but not a likely one and done guy and not a guy who's a sure bet. There's no scenario under which I can't see him in the NBA. I think he'll be an NBA player. Um, but he's got a ways to go where his brother just has to wait for draft night. Um, there's only one year uh, during which Jonte and Michael are going to be able to play college basketball together. That's this upcoming season because Michael Porter jr. Is never going to be a sophomore. So if you wanted to play at least one year of college basketball with your brother, if you're Jonte, you got to do it this upcoming season. That is the motivating factor uh, for Jante. So though you'll hear him grouped with Magley, uh, Marvin Bagley, um, the motivation is different for those two players. Um, with, you know, the, this recruiting class, it has undeniably generated incredible excitement around the Missouri program, which I think is a lesson for every college basketball program in America. Um, it doesn't matter how bad you've been. If you've got resources and you make the right hire, you can flip it very quickly. This isn't college football where it might take two, three, even four years. In college basketball, you can flip the entire perception of your program in, in, a, in, in months I mean, that's, that's what Konzo Martin has done. Again, 8-46 and 46 under Kim Anderson past three years in SEC games. Now the fan base is mad at me because I don't have him in the preseason top 25-1. and one. Yes, Konzo had to make a hire to get Michael and Jonte, but whatever. Um, it, it, I've always been a, belie- a big believer if there's um, something legal you can do um, to add players, quality players, elite-level talent to your roster— You'd be a, a fool not to. So I don't look at, I don't even care that Consul Martin had to hire Michael Porter Sr. to get Michael Porter Jr. and John Thay. I think he'd have been a fool not to do it. So he did it, and now that program has been flipped from an embarrassment to one of the more talked about non-traditional powers in college basketball, at least heading into this season. All that said, yes, I think they'll be in the NCAA tournament. I think they should be. Uh, but one point I've made to Missouri fans on, on Twitter over the past few months is that You know, a a top 10 or top five recruiting class even does not guarantee what it is some people think it guarantees. It's very hard to win when your best players are all first-year players in college basketball. We see it every year. Now, if your best players are future lottery picks, like De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, okay, you can bam out of bio, you, you know, top 20 pick. You can get that done. But when they're just like, you know, top 20 players, top 40 players, those guys without veterans um, to, to guide them in some way or at least assist them in some way have a hard time, you know, uh, at the high major level. Uh, Michigan State's a good example from last year. They enrolled the number three recruiting class in the country. Two five stars, two four stars. I'm not saying it's exactly like Missouri's class, but it is similar to Missouri's class in the sense that they are two five stars and two four stars. They struggle last year. Now I know they had some injury problems, but they struggled. They got into the tournament, but there was a moment in, you know, whenever it was, January, February, when people were wondering, is this going to be the year Tom Izzo misses the NCAA tournament? NC State last year, top five recruiting class, enrolled one five-star and three four-stars. Terrible. Texas last year, sixth ranked recruiting class, enrolled one five-star, three four-stars. Terrible. And so, yes, I think Missouri can get to the NCAA tournament, but the idea that this recruiting class alone makes them a, a top 25 preseason team or a lot to go to the NCAA tournament, that's just not what college basketball shows us every year. If, you don't, if your best players are first-year players and not lottery pick type guys, um, you can struggle. Now, I think Texas is going to be way better this year. I think Michigan State is going to be great this year. But there's a big difference in college basketball between having sophomores and having freshmen. And so if I were Missouri fans, I'd I'd keep that in mind. Be excited, but at least keep that in mind.
1: Definitely. I think Missouri sets up as a top five intriguing team this season because of the new coaching staff and because Porter is such a fun player to watch and and very NBA ready in his skill set. But with all these new pieces with I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. I can absolutely GP. I can see a scenario easily, easily in which Missouri ends, say, 17 and 15, some ups and downs. And even still, you're more than doubling your win total from a year ago. But um, Missouri fans would not take that right now uh, without a doubt. They w- they would gamble on on what else could happen if, unless I said 17, 15 or you take what comes. They're going to take the other way. But you bring up good examples, and we see this often. Uh, and particularly what's interesting here is they've got a lot of talent in the front court. Uh, many people have made mention of how good the backcourt can be in the SEC, which is going to have really good guards. Um, I think that's a valid concern as well. So we'll see. Uh, it's, it's an awesome, interesting challenge for Conzo for in his first season there. Uh, he has had good talent. I mean, last year had Ivan Rabb come back at Cal, and I don't think Cal last season had as much total talent, but I actually think it's fairly close last season's Cal team compared to the you know the totality of what Mizzou has coming in this year, and Cal wasn't that good, and they weren't as good as they were the year prior. So it's it's going to be very intriguing to see what happens because it's not just Kentucky. We've got Florida as a top-ten team. Texas A&M is going to be a really good team, and in fact, te- Texas A&M... Uh, has, a, has a crazy tough schedule. So I actually think that team might be even better than people realize when we're in the thick of the season. When you look at just – go ahead and look at what they got in the non-conference. they got a, a tough road ahead. Bama's going to have Colin Sexton in there. He could be – he could turn himself into a top five, top seven pick in next year's draft. They're going to be very interesting. Vanderbilt brings a lot of pieces back from a, a team that got into the NCAA tournament. Uh, Auburn should be improved. I think across the board in the SEC, it's going to be really, really strong. And so because of that, yes, Missouri is part of that and has, has become kind of the headline. I mean, it's, it's Kentucky and Missouri that have garnered the most uh, publicity in the offseason for that league. But, but no guarantees. And I, I don't think there are many other teams that I personally am more interested in as we get ready to start the season.
0: Yeah. Um, to your point about Cal, you know, they had a, a talented roster last season under Conzo, and they did not make the NCAA tournament. They're probably a win or two away. You know, probably a win or two from getting there yeah. um but yeah i mean it didn't make it so there, there is that and that's honestly what you know when people whether it's tennessee fans who don't like Conzo martin or cal fans who now don't like Conzo martin uh you know the, the thing they love to point out on social media is that you know Conzo's had talented prosters before and not gotten where um where maybe the roster suggested he should get. On the other hand, he has been the sweet 16 after winning three games in his, uh, in the NCAA tournament in his final year, um, at Tennessee. Uh, one last thing. Um, I'm looking at the, uh, 24 seven sports team rankings from class of 2016 right now. And four of the schools that had top 10 recruiting classes heading into last season did not make the NCAA tournament, NC state, Texas, Connecticut, And Mississippi State so it just underlines the point I was making Uh, be excited um, be enthused Uh, you probably got the number one pick in the draft playing in Columbia for a year that's awesome but don't think a top 10 recruiting class guarantees you're going to the NCAA tournament because there's four examples from last year that um, that run contrary uh, to that Uh, other significant recruiting news uh, from this week uh, Javon Quinterly, a uh, top 15 player in a class of 2018, uh, uh, a point guard is uh, verbally committed to Arizona. So now Arizona, according to 24-7 Sports, has the number one recruiting class in America. Now, uh, it is only August 10th. That'll probably change by November and certainly change by next spring. And if the past four years are any indication, Arizona will be pushed down by either Duke or Kentucky or both. But either way, uh, right now, when you're talking about programs that are just set up to keep humming along at a high level i mean arizona's like maybe right it's definitely right there with kentucky and duke um you know at the top of the at the top of any list i mean they've got what i think is the preseason number one team in the country right now um they've got a a top five pick on the roster in deandre ayton who i'm told in off-season workouts has been tremendous and now they got a number one recruiting class set to enroll. When they lose DeAndre, Ayton, when they lose Alonzo Trier, uh, they're just going to reload and and keep operating. Sean's, uh, I know people bang on him because he ain't got to the Final Four yet. But you keep putting together rosters like this, enrolling talent like this, it's just a matter of time. It's going to happen.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And I mean, for here's the deal. So it, it's they they're the number one team we think heading into this season. And they're the number one class right now. I wrote a few months ago, GP, about how Sean has basically earned a spot at the table with Cal and Coach K. Um, I think that because Arizona is going to have so many scholarships to fill in the 2018 class, it's inevitably going to get another five star, perhaps another two five star players. I think there's a really good chance it's a top three class. I think at worst it winds up as a top five class overall by mere nature of the fact that they've got so many scholarships to fill. It's Arizona. They're going to get really, really good players. Quinterly uh, is a is a very solid multi-year point guard, in my opinion, who I think will be pretty successful as, as a freshman overall. He joins Sharif O'Neill, who is Shaq's son. Who I, I think some recruiting analysts kind of vary on him. They think that he might be a little bit overrated, maybe because of the name and and uh, the breed that he comes from. But he's still a he's still a really solid player. He's good.
0: Uh, I, I watched him in uh, at Peach Jam a couple of games. He's you know he he can he's comfortable shooting from the perimeter. He's obviously got good like he's he's I don't think he's a one and done guy, but he's good.
1: Yeah, quality, quality guy. Brandon Williams uh, is a four-star point guard also in this class. So those are the three that Arizona has right now. Quinterly is the highest-rated prospect in the class of 2018 to commit to a program right now. Um, That's in large reason why Arizona bumped up ahead of USC in the standings as we see it right now. But, yeah, they're going to lose Parker Jackson Cartwright after the season of graduation. Alonzo Trier will— Almost definitely. I mean, I think a barring just a complete breakdown of a season, which doesn't seem remotely possible. Trier's gone. Raleigh Alkins will probably leave. DeAndre Ayton will certainly be gone. But if you're an Arizona fan, yes, this seems to be the year. The good news is that, as you said, like they're just they're humming, man. I mean, th- this program is set up to be relevant top 10 in the, in the recruiting rankings, but then have that translate because so often we've seen it translate with Sean Miller at Arizona to top two status in the Pac-12. And what that means, top 15 status annually in college basketball overall. And what does this uh, all add up to? It adds up to the fact that it's just simply a matter of time. You get this many players consistently year after year, and you have these teams, he will get to the Final Four. Arizona fans desperately want this to be the season. I understand that, and I think that it should and will be. But even if it's not, it will happen. You can't be this good for this long with this many players and have continual first-round draft picks finish, you know, at or above or near 30 wins every season and not break through to the Final Four. So that's that's the big picture. Is even even though he has not yet done it, Sean has continued to just own that side of the country when it comes to recruiting. Arizona is set up for this season, the season after that, and the season after that because guys like Quinterly and O'Neill and Brandon Williams in this class right now they're going to be multi-year players so Arizona is not, is not going anywhere i i don't see a, po- a situation barring widespread injury where they are not a top 15 team for the next 3 years minimally
0: no i mean you and i are in total agreement here i mean you it is it, when you keep that's why it was always you know, people would say, John Calabari can't win the big game. Like, it, it was always a matter of time. You cannot keep enrolling top five recruiting classes and, and not do it at some point. I mean, I mean, I don't think you I, – I think if you're a competent coach and you keep recruiting at this level, all it takes is that year where you you put a top five recruiting class on top of a top five recruiting class from the previous year and a couple of those guys who maybe could have turned pro or should have turned pro Stay. That's when you break through. That's when John Calipari broke through, um, and it'll be when Sean breaks through, and I, I think it could be this season because, um, you know, he Alonzo Trier came back. Raleigh Hawkins came back. They lost guys, but there's, those are two other guys who could have theoretically reasonably left, but they come back to school. Then you stack a top three uh, recruiting class on top of them, and now you're you're ready to go. And so, yeah, um, you know, Arizona fans have, you know, uh, it's, it's funny. People – I don't. I mean, Arizona fans obviously remember this. I don't know if if people, you know, casual college basketball fans do. Like Sean wasn't the first choice at Arizona, and like Arizona fans weren't a hundred percent like excited about the hire. Um, you know, they and and Sean wasn't a hundred percent going there initially. I think he turned right. the job there's, down initially.
1: Yeah, there was. Yeah, that was right before I got to CBS, but I remember there being he had a lot of consternation about leaving Xavier for that job yeah you know, yes yeah. inter-
0: yeah, so there's a lot like there's a lot of little things that almost didn't didn't we never got to this point but man I mean uh, I don't care if he was second choice third choice whatever he's uh he's turned into one of the real monsters of college basketball and the only thing missing from his resume is is that final four and, and that national championship but um, like I said I think that's probably on the way headline posted by you at Cbsports.com it says that college basketball attendance dips again. Explain the headline, Matt Norlander.
1: Well, I don't write the headlines, but uh, but yes. in The regular season, so college basketball's regular season, similar to a lot of other sports, uh, the attendance dipped a little bit. The postseason is actually up significantly from a season ago, and television ratings continue to be pretty, pretty solid. I mean, we saw... A, high watermarks with the uh, champion or the CBS Sports Classic last season with Carolina, Kentucky in that epic. So broadly speaking, you see the headline, you might think, okay, college basketball might be losing a little bit of popularity. I would disagree with that assessment because well, for a number of reasons. One, I mean, pull back the curtain a little bit. Uh, readership at CBSSports.com on college basketball content month to month is, is up, like significantly from what it was a year ago to two years ago, uh, even three years ago. So the interest in college, in coverage, it continues to rise. I understand why the regular season has taken a dip because that mirrors the pattern of most other American sports. Also, it's an average of 111 fans per game that uh, from last season. So that's not an insignificant number, but it's not a massive, massive, massive number Uh, for the tournament. It's up an average of 461 fans a game, which actually is a massive number because it's such a fewer amount of games versus the regular season. Um, I think that's a pretty good sign. And it's also indicative of GP. I've been of this, this opinion for a couple years now. I just feel as though that people invest more time on the whole, and I'm talking groups, massive groups, millions of people, readership, viewership, all of that, when the games just have more urgency and relevancy. And so that's why honestly, Unless you're an NBA diehard, the middle of January just feels like the desert when it comes to the NBA. But everyone gets super into it when you get to the playoffs. And then the storylines that end after the season, in the NBA, to me, get as much run almost as anything that's not related to directly to the finals. With college basketball, I think it's very similar. You hit you this massive push because gambling is becoming more – I don't accept it, I guess, GP. Like, it just seems like more people are like, yeah, I'm I'm going to just toss down money on all these games. I don't feel like that was nearly as common 10, 15 years ago with other sports outside of football. So I think our investment in postseason play – college football has dealt with massive attendance issues going on a decade now. Um, and these are things that I think sports are trying to remedy – so I don't think it's necessarily a massively bad thing for college troops. In fact, I would say it's just it's just common with trends across the board. But I know you have thoughts. So what uh, what's your takeaway on it?
0: Well, it doesn't surprise me that attendance is down because um, all of the data suggests we're raising a generation or even millennials who don't like – don't enjoy going to sporting events the way we used to enjoy going to sporting events when we grew up. Not that we're ancient, but we are older than, say, your average 20-year-old. Well, um, the, the at-home experience is so awesome now that people would just, you know, I, I, I'm guilty of this, by the way. I would always rather watch on TV than go to an event. I, I, oh, there's no
1: question, man. Yeah,
0: I, I, I do not enjoy being in the building for a game as much as I enjoy being on the couch watching, you know, three games. I've got a three televisions set up in, uh, in in my office, Uh, one, one you know, like big big television and then two smaller ones right underneath it and three different direct tv boxes so I, i've got three different things going at all time i've got my computer in my lap a you know a, a bar stocked full like that's where i enjoy being like if you said i've got free tickets to this football game this weekend or this basketball game this weekend or you could just sit at home like and and hang out up there i would always rather just sit at home and i don't think that's unique to me um, it's certainly not um, a consensus, but I don't think that's terribly uncommon. Uh, so I, I think sports in general are are facing this issue. How do you make the the in-stadium, in-arena experience something that is more desirable than people just, you know, watching on a 70-inch, you know, HD television? Um, where they've got, you know, unbelievable Wi-Fi in their home and a, an a iPad in their hand. Um, that's something that... that professional franchises in every sport and and universities are dealing with um, and trying to address right now by enhancing Wi-Fi and, and doing all sorts of other things. Um, so it's not, it's not surprising that fewer people are going to, to college basketball games. I think um, that that's probably the case in, in most sports right now. It's why when I was talking to an athletic director not so long ago, he said the biggest problem we got right now is our football stadium is too big and our basketball arena is too big. Like if we – if you – you will not see, this is what he said, and I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it sounded true. He said, you, you won't the days of watching a university build a 100,000-seat stadium, that's not happening anymore. What, you, what everybody should be doing is trying to build the best, You know, and not everybody, but like the Tennessees of the world. You don't want a 100,000-seat football stadium. You want the best 60,000-seat football stadium in America. And for basketball, same thing. You won't see a university build a 20,000-seat on-campus arena. Um, anymore, ever again. You, what you'll see is 9,000, 10,000, 11,000, 12,000. And that's because it's becoming more difficult than ever to get people, particularly young people and students, to to go to games. I, I believe there was an article just a couple years ago maybe about, you know, at Duke, which probably has the most famous student section in America, in you know, the Cameron Crazies, that they were actually having a problem filling up all of their student-issued student available tickets for every single game. So if Duke is having a problem getting students to go to games, well, that that suggests that it's an issue uh, throughout the sport. The larger point I wanted to make though is this, and it's possible we've touched on this before, but to me, there's a lot of issues facing college basketball. To me, the number one issue is the constant turnover of rosters. There is no other, and I know we've talked about this before, there's no other mainstream sport in America if we're still calling college basketball a mainstream sport, um, that has as much roster turnover from a year-to-year basis as college basketball. The first team All-Americans almost never come back to school. Second team All-Americans almost never come back to school. Uh, I think this year, maybe one first, second, or third team, CBS Sports, All-American is back in school. Bonzi Colson, maybe. Like it's, it, we just, we the turnover is, it makes it very difficult to follow because nobody knows who's who. I don't know who our first-team All-Americans are going to be. We haven't really discussed that. But I guarantee I could walk into any sports bar in America after we settle on five and show mugshots shots of them without a school name on it, just pictures, faces. And, and you're, even people who identify as sports fans and college basketball fans might have trouble identifying the players that we've selected. That's, just, that, that's an issue for college uh, basketball. But another issue is that there's too many bad games. You know, if a, if a team plays 30 games in the regular season, how many of them, if you're a good team, so let's, let's set the parameters here. You're a top 25 team. You play 30 games. You're a power conference school that is, a, you know, g- given the opportunity to buy, like I think most big schools, like buy nine games. So th- those are supposed to be mismatches. Okay, so there's a, there, that's a third of your regular season schedule are supposed to be total mismatches. It's, it's, the, it's the majority of your home schedule are, are on paper supposed to be total mismatches if you're a good team. Then in your league, let's just be generous and say a third of your league sucks. I mean, it's just terrible. If you're a 12-team league, four of those teams are just absolute garbage. Well, you're playing each of those, let's just say not twice. Let's say you're playing two of them twice and two of them once. That's another six games. Now we're up to 15 of your 30 games that are total mismatches. Why, who goes to those? Why would you buy season tickets to those? I mean, like, why? What, what compels a college basketball fan other than I just love my university or I'm a Kentucky fan, Kansas fan, something, Indiana fan, Louisville fan, North Carolina fan? What compels a person to spend real money on season tickets when? When you could basically look at half of the games, you'll be, you'll have tickets to go to and they're complete garbage mismatch games. In fact, it's probably more than half because you got nine by games for a high major. And then let's say you're playing another nine league games at home. And, and let's say four of those are complete mismatches. Now we're up to 13 of, let, you know, again, for the sake of the conversation, 18 home games that are complete garbage. Who wants to do that? I mean, I think that's a big problem, that Division One is too big and there's too many bye games, and you ask people to spend money to go to complete mismatches that are, are and unless you're just there to see your team win by 25, it's a complete bore, whereas you contrast it to the sport that's going on at the same time, NBA. Uh, you're basically playing a playoff team every single night, in the, I mean, every other night in the NBA. Every
1: other night. Yeah. 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 And the, the, yeah. The weird thing with the NBA, though, and they're trying to fix this and they have their schedule release GP is that now you've got this weird thing where you've had <laughs> the fans want to be there and then the Stars don't play in some of the games. Now, hopefully, yeah, that they, gets they, they've eliminated figure, in the seasons yeah. ahead. But it is. But that pick, was an ironic twist of the NBA. Yeah. They've got to
0: figure that out. But, like, in the NBA, you're playing every other game. I mean, there's 30 teams. 16 go to the playoffs. So, more than half are, quote, playoff teams, quote, quality teams. By by that standard every uh, every other game is going to be against the playoff team in college basketball how many good teams play games against other ncaa tournament teams in in a season it's not even half your schedule it, it, it's not even it's it might not even be a third of your schedule and that's like what that that to me that's what i find most among the most problematic things facing the sport is and it's especially um Throughout November and December when everybody's playing by games like it's just why would I watch this? Why would unless you want to see a specific player or you just love your team, there's too many games that are just total. ugh. like what? Like why is yeah. it? Yeah, it's just bad and,
1: uh, without a doubt. Yeah,
0: there's no easy way to fix it, but I, it. I do wish that uh, there was a way to improve it. And yeah,
1: there's not an easy way to fix it because they got to. We've we've definitely. So I think we've talked about this multiple times on the podcast. But uh, a lot of this stems from the fact that these schools uh, and these venues need to have the buy teams on because they got to fill up the schedule. They have to fill up these dates with right. these home games. Uh, in order to do that, you're going to have to bring in smaller schools. I still think you can massage it one way or the other. We have seen some good headlines in the off season here UCLA and Notre Dame reviving an on conference rivalry. So I think we're getting peppered with it a little bit here, a little bit there, but there's still miles to go with this. I don't think it's a problem that ever fully gets solved, but I will say little things like college basketball not this season but the season after that starting on a Tuesday instead of a Friday or trying to organize that that first Tuesday has anywhere from five to 10 games involving top 40 type programs, stuff like that helps. If you can just sprinkle in one or two more legitimate games in November, December for every top 25 program, just a little bit adds up to a lot. So I think we've just got to slowly, you know, turn the ship here, 180 degrees in terms of what big programs and coaches should be doing to help benefit and better the sport. It's, it's just going to take a while. But you're absolutely right. Just the the inundation of of top 50 programs playing against you know sub 200 programs or, or sub 150 even. Because even like even like this is no respect disrespect to schools that we're say are in the the MAC or the the Southland Conference who could be like a top three program. Like how about my my man like Rick Bird at Belmont? He's awesome. Shout but out even- to
0: Rick Bird. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. and Teagle. Continue.
1: Exactly, even like a game against Belmont is is a is a fairly legitimate opponent. But even then, if you're bringing Belmont in, um, it's still not enough of a buzz for a lot of people to get into the building um, for the for schools and those kind of conferences. I understand you're always going to have to schedule them, but it is certainly a uh, it is a significant challenge to the sport now. Um, and I don't want to keep going on this because we really should move on. But the, the other interesting thing that's coming, GP is that you're going to see a lot of the big leagues go to 20-game schedules. Right. With that, you're going to eliminate some non-conference games. You might think, okay, that's good. Well, I actually think that it's not necessarily a great thing because those two more uh, or two more conference games are going to ensure one home game and one road game, so it's going to force a team to play another road game. They're going to want to stay at home, so I actually think that coaches will be inclined to not alter their non-conference scheduling philosophies to be that much more difficult. I hope that changes, but that's kind of yeah. an, another topic for another time. Just be aware that starting next season and then, and then thereafter, 20-game conference schedules in the Big Ten, Pac-12, SEC, ACC are going to be a reality, and within that, it's it's going to open up a, a different set of s- situations and problems.
0: Last thing before we get out of here, uh, I want to tell a story that I, I wrote about cbssports.com, uh, so you can see it there if you want, but if you haven't read it yet, I got an interesting text message text message a couple days ago Um, and it was from Oakland coach Greg Campy and it just said simply can you talk question mark and I was on the radio at the time so I texted him back and I said I'm on the radio right now but I get off at 6 central call you back at 6 central he said cool so I get him on the phone on my drive home and he you know after the normal how you doing how's the family those types of questions Um, I said so what's up and he said I want to tell you a story I don't know that I want it published but i think i might now and i'll tell you why i might after i tell you the story but can i just it's it's a long story but can i tell you the story i said of course and he said i almost died last month i'm like what because i saw him last month at peach jam i was like i saw you at peach jam you look fine what's what like and i and then i start to you know notice i didn't see him in vegas at all but that's not abnormal like at peach jam we're all in the same building every day in vegas there's like a million different gyms it's very easy to to be, um, you know, in, it, to be in Vegas for four days and not see other people who are also in Vegas for four days, particularly if you start your days out at Foothill. Shouts to Foothill, Foothill. absolutely. Shouts, shouts, yeah, to, shouts, to Foothill High School. And so, um, he says, he says, okay. He said, I saw you at Peach Jam, and I said, yeah, I saw, him, but we never talked at Peach Jam. It was like one of those deals where we see each other from across the gym, but we never actually communicated. And he said, so you remember? It was on a Friday. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, so on that Friday at Peach Jam, I, I'm, I start to feel like I'm just not feeling well. I start to think I've got a cold. He says, I think I've got a cold because the gym's so cold. Famously, for people who've never been to Peach Jam, they keep it at like 62 degrees. I mean, it's just freezing in there. And he says, so I think I'm just coming down with a cold, whatever. He says, so we wrap up those late games on Friday, and uh, I drive to Atlanta because it's going to go to the Under Armour event the next morning. So I get to Atlanta, still not feeling well, um, but I figure I just go to sleep, wake up tomorrow, I'll feel better. Goes to sleep, wakes up on Saturday morning, does not feel better. Goes to the gym anyway, Under Armour event. He bumps into one of his assistants, or he's sitting with one of his assistants. Assistant looks at him and says, yo, are you okay? Are you all right? Because your, your face is yellow, like you're yellow. And he said, man, I don't feel well. So he goes to the bathroom, like tries to throw up because he thinks maybe that'll make him feel better because he feels really nauseous. But he's just dry heaving, and it gets to the point he can't stand up. Like, he sit back in a chair and suddenly he's having a hard time, like, even getting out of the chair. So it becomes very clear, like, sitting in this gym evaluating prospects all day long, not going to work. He needs to get home. So he goes to airport, rebooks his flight, gets an earlier flight. And he tells me that he's at the Atlanta airport and he's in so much pain that he's having trouble sitting down. He's basically in the fetal position by the windows at the gate waiting to board. And so he finally, like, he gets on the plane and somehow he makes it back home to Michigan. And when he's there, he said – he said, you know how when a child, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever, gets out of a pool and they got the towel on them, but they're just shaking because they're cold because the water, you know, they, they're just the contrast. Yeah. I said, yeah. I said, honestly, like my son did that like literally yesterday. He was like, dad, but wrap me up tight, you know, and my three-year-old. So I said, sure. I know what he said. That's what I look like. I was shaking uncontrollably and I was cold. And he said, so I just figured I'll get in the hot tub. He has a hot tub at his home. He said, put it on 104 degrees, and he climbed in, and he sat there. He was like, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm cold. This will make me warm. And he's sitting in the 104-degree water, and nothing changes. It's just he's still shaking uncontrollably. And he says, okay, I, I need to go to the hospital. So he goes to the hospital, and with, within minutes of getting there, um, he's, he's convulsing. And they, they come in like it's a code whatever, like it's serious. They take his temperature. It has rocketed to 106.7.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: They either get him completely nude or close to completely nude. And the way he tells it literally hose him down with ice cold water. Like they're spraying his body because they have to lower his temperature quickly or he's going to die. They don't necessarily know exactly what the problem is yet. But – they know that if they don't get this temperature down he is not going to make it so they're like spraying him on every pressure point that they know to spray him with like ice cold water hoses and they get the temperature down to around 102 and what they found out is that it was all triggered um by something that happened way back in march so he was coaching in the nit at clemson they win the game and uh he's in excruciating pain he says after the game and flies back home and immediately goes to the hospital within 2 hours he's in surgery to have a kidney stone removed he he knew it was kidney stones he has a history with kidney stones so he's um he's in surgery to get the kidney stone removed but they can't get it so they insert a stent they say we're going to try again in 2 weeks so they give medicine and just try again in 2 weeks goes back in 2 weeks they get that stone but in the process they uncover like through cat scans and x-rays and whatever um not uncover discover That there is a stone actually inside his kidney like inside the kidney and the only way they know to get that one out is to go through his back and have surgery like they can go cut through his back cut into the kidney remove the stone and he says okay whatever like but i can't do it now like it's it's april recruiting and then you got july recruiting so like can we just put it off till after the July evaluation period, they said, sure, you know, yeah, we can, if you're willing to deal with it for that long. He says, I am. So they put it off like the, the, the surgery is literally scheduled for August 1st. I think the July evaluation period ends on that Sunday. He's supposed to have surgery on that Tuesday. Um, well, what happened when he was at Peach Jam is that stone that they had left in his kidney, we're planning to remove on August 1st, it got infected. The kidney got infected and then he developed sepsis. Which people die from that you know i had a nurse uh, a friend of mine jump on the facebook page when i posted this um this this column her name's rachel and she said like she deals with this all the time and people die from it all the time greg said that he was told 80 percent of people at his age he's 61 who develop sepsis which is like um it, it, it gets into your blood um they die and so he had developed sepsis and he was on the verge of of death he was in intensive care for five days says he's feeling about 75% right now. Should be back to normal soon. But um, he was near death and was told that if he would not have gone to the hospital when he would have gone to the hospital, when he did actually go to the hospital, like if he would have decided to stay at Under Armour throughout the day and then got on a later flight or decided, I'm just going to go to – try to go to sleep and you know, take some pain pills, go to sleep and wake up tomorrow and see how I feel, he would have died. And so the reason he wanted to tell the story, and I think it's a very basic but also worthwhile message, is he said people, and these are his words, not mine. He said people, especially men, especially men in athletics, tend to just think we'll be better tomorrow. And I'm guilty of this, not to this extreme. But, like, I get a cold when I don't go to the doctor. I'll just be better tomorrow. I get a flu. I don't go to the doctor. I'll just – it'll wear off at some point. He said, you you know – his, his lesson was, was, was a pretty clear one. When you think you need to go to the hospital, go. Because he said he's had people subsequent to his um, experience who have known about this story, you know, engage with him on campus or wherever, and say, listen, you know, my, my brother, my father, was going through the exact same thing you were going through, decided to go to sleep, wake up tomorrow and see if he felt better, and he never woke up the next day. And so the message, the reason you want to tell this story is not to be a sympathetic figure, but to, to maybe be an example to, to men, not only in college basketball, but throughout the country, whoever stumbles upon the column, um, it, it, go. You're not invincible uh, because if you, uh, if you decide to wait one more day to see if you get better, it could be costly. It could actually cost you life. And so what a scary ordeal. I mean, and, and how quickly this happened. On Friday afternoon, he was fine. By Saturday night, he was nearly dead. Just, ugh. And so what a what a wild turn of events. But thank God he's okay because he is – I think you tweeted this and, and I tweeted something. Like he's one of the more likable characters in college basketball. Just everybody likes Greg Campy. Not every college basketball coach is well-liked by his peers. I never heard anybody say a bad word about Greg Campy. And so what a scary, scary thing, huh?
1: Yeah, Campy is really uh, – he's – self-deprecating like one of the funniest guys in the profession I think he's of a different cloth versus a lot of other guys that coach in 2017 like campy seems like a guy that would have fit in so well when coaching characters littered the landscape in the 70s and 80s he's just tremendous to deal with and the irony is that his program has dealt with a lot of tragedy um had a player who lost his father uh, recently. there have been other uh, there the the program itself has actually been uh, whether people within the athletic department people campy know have have been uh, afflicted and touched by cancer in a lot of ways. Um, so for this to happen to campy is just another just unnecessary uh, massive blow and i'm I'm really thankful that he had the wherewithal and uh, persistence to go to the hospital because, like, sepsis is not a kidney stone. You and I have both had kidney stones. Woo! And for people that are listening that have had a kidney stone, and if you haven't had a kidney stone, it is it is really hard to describe to you how unbearably painful and really borderline crippling having a kidney stone is because you you mentioned how... Uh, campy was essentially dry heaving I mean when I had mine I, I I was relentlessly dry heaving I didn't know that I had a kidney stone because I'd never had one I didn't know Same what was thing. going on me too it was the most bizarre feeling and I and I I remember it got to be like two at fifteen in the morning and I'm and I'm like babe i got I gotta go to the hospital I don't know what's wrong with me but it just reaches a certain point and I'm I'm like a 74 year old man walking into the hospital. I, I I'm I'm hunched over. I can barely step. Um, immediately the guy knew that I had it. Course, he goes, yeah. "You've got kidney stones." Right. And I'm like, "Okay, okay, whatever you say, man. Just get, just help me,
0: help me get out of this hell." Dude, it is no, unbearable. It, my my experience was exactly like yours. Like I I didn't know what it was. I just knew I was hurting. I woke up at like four in the morning, and I was hurting. And, I, I, and so I, but I, so I got out of bed. And what was what, what I recognized is that when I stood up, I felt better. And so um, I went and took a shower and I felt better. So I was like, okay, I feel better now. Got back in bed, hurting again. Get up, feel better. My wife was like, you probably got a kidney stone. I said, I don't know, yeah, yeah. you know, I was dismissive like I usually am of, of any sort of intelligent thought from another person that I don't wanna hear. Cause kidney stone, I know what that means. You gotta go to the hospital. As I was saying earlier, I'm exactly who Greg Campy's talking about. Like, I'm just like, I'll get better tomorrow. This will wear off. I'll feel better in a few hours. And it just got worse and got worse. And by the time I decided, okay, I got to go to the hospital. So my wife's going to drive me. And I was in such, you used the right word, crippling pain. I was in her car, in the front seat, holding, you know, like the thing on the – I was holding that and lifting myself up just to ease the pressure on my – like uh, – Honestly, I might have been doing the same yeah, thing. Okay. You,
1: you say that now, yeah. and I, and I kind of remember doing the exact same thing on the right. ride to the hospital. Yeah,
0: so I'm, I'm doing that – okay, the hospital is probably f- uh, 15 minutes from my house. We had to pull over twice to let me get out of the car and just stand up. Cause I was dying. I thought I was dying. I felt like I was dying. If you would have, if you would have put a gun in front of me right then and said, you can end this right now. I I might, (laughs) I might've done it. I mean, like you cannot overstate how much pain this I was in, how painful this is. So I'm just like you, I walk in the hospital and I'm like, I'm sweating. I'm, 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 if if I'm not crying, it's only because I did, I couldn't muster the tears. Like I was dying immediately. You have kidney stones. I said, dude, you got to do something. I mean, I'm, I, I fainted from the pain. And, you know, that I, I did like, I, but like they caught me, but I actually like, like did faint momentarily from the pain. And they immediately hooked me up to something, like IV of, I don't know if it was morphine or whatever it was. But boom, I was fine. As soon as they hooked me up, and I was like, dude, just keep me on this until everything's over. And they thank God, like, oh, it wore off one time. And then I was immediately in the worst pain again. Boom, hit it again, pain stuff. I'm fine again. And I passed it. I don't have. I have no recollection of actually passing the stone, but I have a bottle of pain pills here in my home now that I keep, not for wild Saturday nights, <laughs> but but for just in case. If I ever feel like that again, I'm popping three pain pills and going straight to the hospital, dude. It is the worst. So I can't even imagine like dealing with kidney stones the way Greg has had to deal with kidney stones throughout his life. Uh. But then having it get having it in become infected then infect your kidney then lead to sepsis then nearly die and like this all happens in about a 24-hour period like you just don't even imagine that that's real life and so um yeah thank god he had the wherewithal to go to the hospital because if he wouldn't like um he genuinely would not have survived um so scary stuff and yeah, uh, that's...
1: just to stay, get better, Greg. Want you healthy for the season. Uh, glad you're, you know, on the mend here. And yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad he was willing to share his story. And college basketball is definitely. We need more coaches willing to uh, just have the the overall demeanor uh, of Greg Campy. He's is, he's is really one of the best to deal with. And by the way, is a fairly good coach. He is he has maintained success for a very long time at Oakland. And even uh, produced a couple of pros while he's been there, so hopefully he's got many more years ahead of him.
0: Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast via iTunes, so please do that. Thank you all for listening. I know uh, August College Basketball Podcast. Uh, uh, we we sometimes are uh, you know before we even start, we're going okay. What what can we talk about? But one way or another, we're going to get about fifty minutes out of it. It's probably my fault, but thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Till then, take care.